Welcome to Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. And this week we're joined by a state MP for New South Wales, Mr. Kevin Connolly, to talk to us about all things politics and the dire need at this time in our history for us to step up and get involved in politics. Now, we're talking especially about men getting involved in politics. That doesn't mean we only want men getting involved in politics, but this is a men's show. And we really try to call on our men to virtue in this show, to step up and take responsibility. So we are focusing this particularly on how we as, as men can get involved in, in politics and take up our civic duty as um, Jesus and as the church exhort us to do. So welcome to the show, Kevin Connolly. Thank you for joining us. G'day, Chris. A pleasure to be here. Fantastic. And I'm excited for this conversation for sure. But before we jump into it, I'd like to encourage everybody, as I usually do at the beginning of these episodes, to just jump onto our Facebook page, Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. Give it a like, click to see our notifications first so that you see those notifications in your Facebook algorithm. And then we have our Facebook group as well, our little community where we encourage each other in our challenges and our quest for, for greatness. And that's called Maximus Men. So log on there as well and, and join that group. And then recently, we've also started putting out a fortnightly e-newsletter. So on the week that we don't do an interview like this, we put an e-newsletter out and all sorts of different men's events that are happening around the greater Sydney region are posted in that newsletter, as well as links to this actual podcast and the challenges that we get from our guests in the podcast are on that newsletter too. So you can message us on our Facebook page here and I'll add you to that list. Um, it'd be great to have you involved in our Maximus community. So let's say a quick prayer together, Kevin, and then, and then we'll jump into this conversation. Okay. Great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for this time to gather together online as men. We pray for an enriching and an enlightening conversation. And we pray that uh, you would work in the hearts of all men who watch or listen to this conversation, that you'd help to clarify for them how they can step up, stand up for their rights, for um, the dignity that you've given them, that you've made them with, um, and that you've made all human beings with, that you give them the courage to stand up for your plan and for your kingdom in uh, this beautiful country, Australia. Um, and we consecrate this time to our Mother Mary and also to St. Joseph. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So, Kevin, we really like to begin all of these conversations just by asking a bit about the background of our guests so that our men can get to know who it is we're talking to. Um, can you tell us a bit about your own background, your family history, where you grew up, how you grew up, etc. Sure. Um, look, I was growing up in a, a large family. My parents had uh, six boys and a girl um, themselves, and then they adopted another girl because they didn't want the, 
my sister Cecilia to be lonely and uh, and the only girl in the family. So very generous, very generous parents. Yeah. Uh, and they went on to foster a number of others and so on uh, too. Uh, so we always had little kids around the place. Mm. But um, yeah, it was incredibly generous of my parents in the way that they they gave to us as their children, their family, and they put everything into that. That was their their real focus. Uh, in all of those years. It wasn't about enjoying overseas holidays and accumulating possessions and so on. It was about looking after and raising the family and making sure we were happy and healthy and, and challenged um, to be the best we could be. Hmm. Um, so um, I look back and that was a, you know, a wonderful start to life, a really solid grounding. Um, my father, I, I recall, used to say, we're Connollys, we do it right. Or, you know, we don't, we don't let the side down like that. We don't, mm. You know, he set standards and expected the best from us. And he expected us to have pride in ourselves in the way we presented and in, in doing the best in anything we were undertaking. Yeah, fantastic. Um, good to see that example of virtue. And, and I think the family culture, like it, it's clear that your family had a strong culture, you know, we're Connollys, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've said that myself to my own kids. You'd have to ask them. But <laughs> I, I, I hope I've set the same example of taking pride in what I do and trying to achieve well in whatever field it is. Yeah, well, we certainly enjoy the presence of, uh, of Ben in the office with us. So he's he's a, a good character to have around, that's for sure. Um, is the rest of your family into their faith as well, Kevin? Are they serious about their faith? or Look, my brothers and sisters and yeah. my parents, certainly. Um, my father actually wasn't born a Catholic. He was a convert uh, when he married my mother. Uh, he chose to, uh, to uh, convert to Catholic faith. He'd grown up as a kind of Protestant, but without knowing any particular denomination. Um, but having made that conscious choice when he chose to marry, he adopted it strongly and faithfully and, and took it on for all it meant. Mm. Um, to the extent that he was, you know, an, an acolyte in the, in the parish that he was in and so on, uh, minister of the Eucharist and that sort of thing. So he certainly, and my mother, were wholehearted about whatever it was that they took on, that they didn't, didn't do it by half measure. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that that's the same for the younger generation of the family. And I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily in a position to know because we're spread out as many families are these days living in different cities and so on. But uh, certainly for my generation, that was the case. Yeah, yeah. And was there a decisive moment for you, Kevin, uh, where you chose to embrace your faith personally, where you had to make a, a choice to, to live this out as an adult? Look, I, I've got a curious example in mind that um, mm. I actually went to boarding school in my high school years. And so I was kind of on my own in lots of respects, not in the family home most of the time. And as an adolescent boy, you sometimes wonder, is this stuff all really fair income? Is it worth it? Um, what is it about? And I think I decided as an adolescent in that context that, yeah, um, it makes sense to me. It explains the world to me in a way that affirms and strengthens. Uh, it's, it's a source of goodness in life. And the example that particularly came to mind is I, ha I have a good singing voice and I, um, 
I was in the choir at school. But many people, and particularly adolescent boys, don't like to sing out loud in the church, yeah. um, <laughs> as, as you may have noticed. And, and I decided I would because this made sense to me. What I was singing sounded right to me. It was convincing. And so I would, would sing up nice and loud. And I, for whatever reason, uh, on some weekend, I was away from home in a, another parish in the inner west of Sydney. And there were three men and his dog there, kind of, and nobody singing. Mm. And I sung up loudly and, and boldly. And I thought, I'm okay with that. And yeah. it was kind of an example of, all right, well, I've come out now. Uh, yeah. I've declared it. So I'm going on with it. Yeah. You took ownership in that moment. Yeah. 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 That's great. Now, many of our viewers might not be aware that you were very involved in, in Catholic education before your career in politics. Uh, what led you down the path into Catholic education in the first place? Yeah, I guess I had a, a few career options when I was at school and I was thinking about what I could do and I could talk. That was something I discovered at school. I, I have an ability to get up and speak in front of groups and I'm not worried about that. And yeah. I know a lot of people, again, find that a daunting prospect, public speaking, but it was something I found fairly easy. Um, and I was academically proficient. I was capable of making some choices. So I, I was sort of tossing up between the law and journalism and teaching using the sort of skills I found came naturally to me. And um, I had a look at each of them through work experience programs and as you know, investigating what it was that uh, each of those careers looked like. And I came back thinking that teaching was actually the one that made the most productive difference to people and I found potentially more satisfying as a result that I could feel I was doing good. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and so how long were you involved in, in Catholic education? Look, I taught in schools for 14 years and I was in the Catholic education office at Parramatta for another 16. So 30 years wow. in education. Quite a while. All Quite right? a while. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's um, one of your best memories of the impact that you were able to make um, working in Catholic education? Look, again, there are some wonderful memories of snippets of great lessons that I had a real ball teaching because of the, the interaction with the kids. But I think that the very satisfying part is, is seeing people you taught come through and be teachers or be parents or mm. contributing in society in, yeah. in other really wonderful ways. And you can see great people there. Now, as a teacher, you only have a small part in that process. They have many other teachers. They have first and foremost, their parents to thank, but it's still very gratifying to see that happen. Mm. Okay. So after what seems like it was quite a satisfying career in education, you decided to, make a make an abrupt turn into politics um so i'm just interested i'm sure everybody else is interested to too you know why did you decide to get involved in politics to change your career in politics is in some ways i suppose more demanding than working in education um so what issues were you seeking to change and and why did you want to dedicate the, the next part of your life to politics yeah, look, I'd always had an interest way back from when I was deciding between journalism and law and education. Yeah. Um, I'd been a, a spectator of politics or a hobby interest in, in politics for a long time, but it, it just never came to the surface or the, the forefront. 
because they had other priorities at the time, uh, whether it was establishing himself as a teacher, um, marrying, forming a family, raising kids, you know, the other things came first, but I was always interested. And I confided that interest in my wife and she basically gave me a problem and said, well, if you're thinking like that, what are you going to do about that? And that just led me to go and join the Liberal Party and just at that base level, get a foot in the door. And I suppose the driving sense all along was, I can see how I would think the world should be. And I can put that into words. I can express what that means. I can, I can see other people doing it in a way I wouldn't, or, you know, might sound arrogant, but not as good as I would want them to do, that I would think it should be done. And I think that's the, the best answer to anybody who has a vision and ideas and, and wants to see things happen is, well, what are you going to do about it? And I asked that basically of myself, that uh, if I could see what I thought should be done and I thought I could do it, well, why wasn't I doing it? Yeah. And so you contested uh, the seat of Riviston, that's your seat now. Before you contested it, it was seen as a safe Labor seat. Well, curiously, it wasn't the first one I contested. My, uh, my, okay. As I said to people, my overnight success took 12 years in the making because <laughs> <laughs> that was my fourth attempt to get into state parliament. Right, uh, okay. In 2011. I had run in 99, 03 and 07 along the way. So, um, and yes, where I ran first was where I lived and it happened to be in a safe Labor seat. Mm. And so the, the first time I ran, I had no illusions whatsoever of victory. I just was doing it for the party, doing it for myself to learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I guess to find out what it meant. Mm. And I, I really enjoyed the, the experience and the opportunity. So I, I did follow up from there. Um, but yes, it was, I was close to giving it away simply because the electoral tide didn't come in for a number of years afterwards. It was a long time yeah. coming. Yeah. So what do you think happened? What changed in, in 2011 that saw such a significant swing, a swing of 30%, which might be the, the biggest swing in the country, I, I read? Um, well, well, the biggest Liberal Party swing. Uh, Liberal Party uh, swing, yeah. There's a National Party guy who got elected the same year as me who had a bigger swing, so I can't, right, okay. can't top that. But um, I guess people who follow politics would know that back in the... Uh, the last days of the last Labor government, there were a number of scandals and problems. And basically, even Labor Party faithful lost confidence in their party at that stage. Mm. That um, it was seen that corruption had got a hold. Uh, and as a result, the government was not focused on the needs of the people. And there was a really big desire that year to clean it out. And so even, even a lot of, as I say, Labor Party stalwarts said to me, I'm not going to vote for them this time we need to get rid of this lot and start it again. Uh, and then they'll go back to voting Labor another time, but they, they wanted to change that year. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, what was, I suppose, your initial experience of getting getting in? Now you've been voted in, it's been your, your fourth time lucky, basically. Um, yep. What was it like going in there? Look, it's, it's an immense privilege. It's a, you know, uh, an awesome kind of experience to go into an historic building like that and realise that I'm one of the the chosen few who get to be there mm. as a member representing thousands of people in the community. It's very humbling mm. um, and very exciting as well. 
to have that opportunity to be able to bump into ministers, to drop into their offices and have a say and push an idea and in the party room, get up and speak within the government to argue for a particular point of view. So great responsibility, great opportunity. As people might have guessed though, politics comes with a lot of baggage as well. A lot yeah. of frustrations and tensions and, um, and difficulties behind the scene. Yeah. Um, can I get you to perhaps just um, expand a bit on what some of the highest points and some of the lowest points have been in, in your time in New South Wales Parliament? Yeah. Look, some of the high points might not seem very high to other people outside because they don't even see them. Mm. Um, I'm sitting in my electorate office now and across the desk I see people at different times with problems that have come to me because there's kind of no other answer. It doesn't fit the boxes of the bureaucracy comfortably or they've hit a brick wall. To be able to solve some of those problems one-on-one -on -one for an individual can give me a great buzz at times when, when I can see somebody whose life has changed because of it. And I don't think that the person involved would mind me saying without naming any names, somebody who'd been married for 60 years and they were sadly separated because the, the wife had to go into a nursing home and wasn't capable of looking after herself at home. But the husband was desperately sad because she wasn't in the right sort of placement and due to family arguments, he'd lost control of that and they couldn't see each other. After 60 years of marriage, they were being split apart by other people. Um, and the bureaucracy around guardianship and about changing the placement and so on was difficult to navigate, but I was able to do that and to see that man's delight and, and the brightness in the eyes of his wife when she was able to visit with him was just so gratifying. It was a wonderful thing to see and it's not a public event at all. Nobody else is ever going to see that happen. But that's what this role is here for and can do for individual people, let alone the public things. And it's you know, great to be able to stand beside the Premier and announce a, a $7.3 billion metro or a new hospital coming or be there to cut a ribbon for a school opening. Great things for the community, but almost not as satisfying as the individual whose life you can change for the better. Yeah. It certainly to me sounds like, you know, you're the right person for the job and we need more people like that who are, up, up, you know, there to help the individual with their problem and to genuinely want to improve the life of the individual person. I think that's an important quality to take into politics. And I guess that's part of the reason why, you know, we wanted to interview you to, to show people that good guys can actually get in and can make these sorts of differences. Um, I want to move to more recently to what happened last year with the abortion bill. Um, you know, followers of the Archdiocese of Sydney uh, uh, will know, and of the Life, Marriage and Family Office that I'm a part of, would know that we spent a significant amount of time and effort in those few months last year, you know, giving all of our time to, to try and fight for this. Um, but you were there behind the scenes trying to fight for it. You were standing up for it. Um, amidst enormous pressure, uh, I guess pressure, especially on the opposing side, but even even a little bit with your in your own party. Can you tell us a bit about what that experience, you know, fighting this, this life or death bill 
was like. Yeah, yeah. Look, and the, and the really difficult part was it was a fight within my own party. Mm. Um, it's kind of easy to oppose the opposition. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's difficult to have that fight on your own side. Yeah. And what I found really outraged me about the way this came about, the way it started, was that it was supposedly introduced by an independent, but it was facilitated, expedited, and um, given priority by the government. Um, mm. The government of the day made all the debating time in the chamber available for this bill, rather than any other business we might have been pursuing. And that's not the normal process. And normally a, a private member's bill, an independent, will you know, go to the end of the queue. There'll be a certain amount of time allotted each week for those bills. But if you only get an hour a week on your debate and we saw an issue like that, it could have taken months to go through under the normal process. But it, it was rushed through the yeah. lower house in, in one week's sitting. And uh, I found that offensive I felt, as and I told my own side, I felt betrayed by the process, by the people in the government who'd arranged for that to occur. And that's before I get to the substance of the issue, of course, which clearly it's one of the few bills that I'm going to deal with that is a genuinely life and death issue. Yeah. Um, you know, we may have a euthanasia bill, I hope not, but that could be coming. Um, but most of the stuff we deal with is not life and death. It's important to somebody, no doubt. Every bill that comes to Parliament has importance to it. And any law we make prescribing what people can do, limiting their freedom, is significant because of that. But this was genuinely life and death. And it deserved the full attention of legislators in a serious, um, considered, measured way with time to think and time to hear the arguments. And it wasn't given that. It was rushed through in what I thought was a contemptuous way for the people um, and which brushed aside those very significant life and death issues that real, really were at stake. And the core of the matter is, of course, that the unborn child is a human being. A human being has rights, in my view, before birth, just as much as after. It's different in location and in nature in some respects we're still talking about a human being and you cannot brush that under the carpet as some people wanted to do. And in fact, many members of parliament seem to be able to speak about the issue of abortion for the time that they did in their debate without once mentioning who was being aborted, what yeah. the issue was actually about. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, obviously, a lot of Catholics lobbied very hard during that time and... Um, there was a positive coming out of it in that, you know, so many of us were able to take action and get a little bit more involved in politics. But then we also, on the other, on the other hand, felt quite dejected afterwards after fighting so hard and yet still losing. Um, but I suppose now, you know, we've had time to simmer down a bit after that and, and uh, regroup. And I think now is probably a good time to start talking about how we can get more involved and how we can get more guys involved in, in the political process. But why do you think it's important, uh, Kevin, for Catholic men to be involved in the political process? Just before I go to that, I will comment on that outcome. Yes, yeah. we were defeated and it was deflating. It was really hard to swallow. Mm, mm. But I was so uh, buoyed up 
by the strength and, of conviction and courage and willingness of so many people to get involved. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it shocked some in the government who thought this was an easy pushover, that there was in fact such strength of opposition, such willingness to stand up and say no. And I think we, we certainly put in the shade proponents of the bill in terms of the numbers of people who got actively involved on our side of that argument. And that's a lesson to take away for the future, that we're not insignificant, we're not easily pushed aside, and we are in fact far more numerous than the people who are actively supporting that bill. We need to be better organised, we need to be more represented in Parliament, yeah. because that's where the numbers were wrong. Yes. But outside the Parliament, the numbers were our way. Mm. And that was a staggering thing to, to learn. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That was definitely, that was definitely encouraging. Um, yeah, it comes so back to, to change the numbers in Parliament, yeah. yes, yeah, it is the challenge. If we want to be represented in a way that has real influence, real impact on the political process, then we have to choose people who will go into the Parliament and stand up for those things we believe. And that starts in political parties with choosing candidates who represent the values we want to support. That can only be done by members of those parties. So it follows that if people have a strong view that they believe should be represented, that the way to do that is to get into political parties, to become part of the process at the grassroots level, to have an impact where it will count so that future votes like that are different. Yeah. So what's the politics for dummies step-by-step uh, -step version of, um, you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, say I've, I don't know much about politics at all, but I'm, but I'm a Catholic and I want to join the Liberal Party and I want to the Liberal Party members in Parliament to represent my Catholic values more. Um, I might not, not necessarily want to be a member myself, but I want to get the right guys in. Yep. Uh, so what do I do? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can just go to the party's website, find the join form, fill out the forms and so on and, and do it online and yep. you, you'll end up somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you want some advice about where you can be of most value in the party structure, you might want to go along to an MP whom you respect and say, look, I'd like to join. What are my options? Which branches could I join? Where am I going to be of most help? And yeah. you could do that and you might get directed to this one rather than that one for whatever reasons locally might make sense. Um, I know 29 years ago, I went along to see my local member whom, yeah. whom I had met a few times and I said, I want to join. Mm. Um, so that was my pathway, but it's, it's certainly easy these days with the website available, just click on there and you can get it done. But the important thing is then once you're in, to understand what your power as a member is yeah. and when, when you can use it. Yeah. Uh, and talking to other members who are involved can give you that sense of just how it works and what you do. Yeah. And I get the sense from some other Christians, Catholics, that uh, they might get really disillusioned by a major party and say, oh, you know, the Liberal Party is, you know, soft on this or soft on that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join a minor party because they are more representative of my issues. Um, do you think that's the way to do it though? Or do you think we are dealing with this two party system? It might be better to just join the major party and, and try and get more people to join it and, and reform it. 
Look, certainly the major parties are the ones that will form government. And mm. if you want to um, determine the direction of policy, you've got to be in government. So there's no doubt whatsoever that we need good people in the major parties. There's a place for minor parties, a very good place, but they're only useful if you can win a seat in parliament. Yeah. And some can do that at times. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that's a tactical judgment about whether yeah. the, the minor party you're looking at can win a spot, typically in an upper house. Uh, if they do, it's a very important thing and we want them there and we want them supported and to continue. But realistically, the only way to change the broad sweep of policy in the country or the state is to get into government with one of the major parties supporting the platform that you want to implement. Yeah. And once we, you know, I mean, there's already a move to, to be doing this already. What's the plan, uh, Kevin, to start gaining background? It feels like as conservatives, we're often, often losing ground a lot of the time. What's the plan to to gain some ground back. Look, look, it is fascinating that it's not, in one sense, a huge ask. Um, there are 8 million people in New South Wales. The Liberal Party probably has 10 or 11,000 members. Mm. So, uh, and of those 10 or 11,000, I don't know the exact number, but certainly half of them at least will be conservative. Yeah. Um, so uh, an extra thousand or two here or there would change the flavour of a major party even quite significantly. I don't know the numbers in the Labor Party, but I suspect they're similar. Um, the National Party would, would have the same sort of story. So we don't need hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands realistically to become involved. A few thousand would change any one of those parties quite radically. And so it's, it's not unheard of, it's not impossible to imagine a scenario in which good people joining can make a real difference. Yeah, that's really encouraging. It's only, we're only really talking about a small percentage, aren't we? We are. Yeah. And it's because so few people choose to get up and get involved. Mm. Um, I think in days gone by, there were eras when all parties had many more members than they currently do. And for whatever reason in modern life, people have chosen not to be involved, to leave it to somebody else. Yeah. Well, the lesson really in what we've gone through last year in the abortion debate is we cannot afford to leave it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who are sitting in that apathetic seat and maybe, you know, maybe they feel like they don't know enough uh, to get involved or they're just too busy, but you know, we're talking about really serious things getting passed through government now that these guys could really play a significant role in changing if they could get involved. Um, so if you're talking to the layman, you just uh, average member of a, of a Liberal Party branch. Um, we wanted, we're just talking to our friends, family members, colleagues about the importance of this sort of thing. And uh, how do we, how do we I, I guess, win them over to the fact that they actually can make a difference and, and why they should? Look, I, I think it just starts with that conviction that it's worth doing. Um, what we went through last year taught me it was worth doing even if I lost. Yeah. But, uh, it was still worth the effort to speak the truth, to stand up for what I believed. Uh, and frankly, looking at the numbers at the outset, it was pretty clear we were going to lose on the numbers on the floor. 
I still think we've probably won a lot of the moral argument and I hope we've made an impact that's lasting and will begin the change in the community. But we can change those numbers because it's an achievable ask. Yeah. We don't need to upend the whole society, but we do need people of faith and of conviction to decide that they're going to be involved. They're going to make a step which will cost them a little bit of time, a little bit of money, not, not a huge amount. In both cases, you don't need to invest all your life in this. The average branch member will go along to an occasional meeting and at pre-selection time, they might go along to that and they will probably be called on at election time to go and do some work helping a candidate. Mm. But that's all bearable. It's not yeah. an unreasonable ask if you think the cause is worthwhile, if it's something worth standing up for and will make a difference. That's right. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much for answering all of these questions so, uh, so concisely. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you here so far. Uh, now, we do get our guests to issue a challenge to all of our men. And I'm wondering, Kevin, how you would like to challenge the men watching or listening to this conversation this week? Look, I'd like to challenge people by just saying, I've asked you not to leave it to somebody else. I want you to work out how you can make the difference. Is it joining a party in your case? Is it becoming more active in some other forum, a, a club or a society that you are part of? Is it actually taking a stand on your social media in a way that you've been too timid to do in the past? Uh, or just speaking more boldly, more forthrightly to people you know about what you believe rather than hiding it under a bushel. Yeah. It'll be different ways for different people. But if we're prepared to say, okay, I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to back off. I'm going to take a stand one way or another. Then all of us collectively will provide support for the others uh, to take that stand with the courage of a, of a group doing it. Mm. Fantastic. I think looking at it from a, from a virtue point of view, we talk about the virtues a lot on this show, Kevin. Here we're talking about the virtue of fortitude. And I think a lot of guys want to grow in the virtue of fortitude. We want to learn how to be more brave and courageous. And you're just giving us a lot of examples here of how God is really putting these opportunities in front of us every day to step up and be a little bit more courageous um, in the public sphere. Just you know, one step at a time, how can we be that 1% more courageous uh, this week? Um, so I think that's great. And I will certainly encourage that and we'll use our social media to encourage our guys to get a bit more active in the coming weeks. Great. So Kevin, uh, before we wrap up this afternoon, would you be so kind as to say a quick closing prayer for all of us? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I ask, as I often need to do, for your guidance to show me the path that you would like me to follow, to give me the courage to follow it when it gets difficult, and through all of your people, to give me support and comfort that uh, when, I, when I stumble or I fall along the way, that the, the task that I've undertaken on your behalf is worth doing. And in your guidance and wisdom, you will support me to make sure that happens. 
please give me that support as you have done so often. Continue to, to guide my steps so that I might be able to speak the truth that you want me to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. A beautiful and heartfelt prayer there. So guys, if you are still watching or listening to this, you know that this has been an important conversation. You know that other men, men and women, but especially men need to hear, need to hear this advice um, about how we can get more politically involved and start standing up for our Catholic values and, and really to build God's kingdom because that's what it's really all about ultimately, isn't it, Kevin? It certainly is. It's, um, it's God's kingdom and it's a better world for all of the people in it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so share this conversation around, guys. Um, and Kevin, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been Thanks, Chris, my pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, we might have to get you on again next year. Um, and yeah, until next time, thank you very much. And God bless all of you guys out there. Goodbye.